NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Jim and Frank, I'm absolutely fascinated by this tip line call that comes in in February of 1997. It's supposed to be a tip to try to help direct or give information regarding the investigation in the homicide of John Benet Ramsey. What was the date of this call and what was the nature of this call? Okay, so what we have now, everybody has to understand that case file information in this case coming out into the public sphere it doesn't exist i mean you have the ramsey interviews uh john's interview you got uh two Ram- patsy ramsey interviews but case file information we don't have it except for this and this is from the this is a report from the Boulder Police Department, we were emailed this from a third party saying that we should take a look at something. And they sent us a file and it was this. So I'm, so we're looking at it and you have, there's a date. It's to one of the commanders at the Boulder Police Department. And it's also to the district attorney's office. It's written by a detective dated 22697. 1430 hours. And in this tip line call, uh, the detective is interviewing a woman who's calling to give information about a family member, her brother. And she's stating that after seeing the Ramsey murder, she thought maybe she should call and let the police know. And as the detective is interviewing her, she's talking about how her brother is a part of St. John's Church and how he had sex with his sister, her, from the age of 11 to the age of 18. And the woman is also states that her brother has mentioned that he knows the Ramsey family and she wants this information to be given to the police and thinking it may help and that they may want to look at her brother. So that is in essence, the tip line call. It goes into, you know, I don't want to read the whole thing, but it just, goes into where she lives, where the brother lives. But the crux of it is the information that she was sexually abused by her brother over a period of years. So you talk about incest and because of her age, it's, and she mentions it, it, it started off as 
kind of like nude modeling, but then led on into full intercourse. So this wasn't just a case of slight molestation. So that is in essence, this tip line call. To be clear here, the this tip that's coming in is coming in for, and I know that you've already said a lot of this, but I want I want everybody to have a good understanding. The tip that's coming in is saying, not only was I subjected to abuse or incest at the hands of my brother, but this individual has uh, direct ties to St. John's Church and is in Boulder, Colorado, 1996, December. Um, and so this individual should be of great concern, especially factoring in that the victim in that abuse case that she's calling in would have been a, a younger victim. Yes, she she was she was in her 40s when she made this call back in so this happened many many years prior to the murder. So the the uh she was aged 10 or 11 when it started, lasted up till she was around 18. Her brother, this is the person that's connected to St. John's was around 16 when he started the abuse of his sister. And for whatever reason, when she, when the John Bonet Ramsey case broke, it just reminded her of her brother. And she was like, I better call the tip line, which she did. And then what you have here is the detective interviewing her over the phone and she's giving him this information. The other thing that came in was a narrative written by another detective. And it pretty much goes over the phone call that the other detective had. And it's just basically a summary. And the detective actually writes, after speaking with this woman, I felt it was important to speak with her brother. So they bring the brother in. And they question him. But before the brother, they bring in Reverend Hoverstock, who was the director or the head priest of St. John's Church. They tell him about the phone call they have received from this woman. And they and they they mention that this person is that she's talking about is from St. John's. And Hoverstock says, oh, yeah, I know him. But he, he said, I'm shocked to learn about any kind of sexual molestation about him. I had no idea. That is an important statement by Reverend Hoverstock. Because we have other information that contradicts that statement by him. And that's going to lead us to what we, what I want to call the, uh, the church timeline of events. Okay, the church timeline is not a police document. This is a document that I made based on interviews with the person from St. John's that wrote the, Man, the Manchurian Dow. And then later... My brother and I got the name of another individual and we contacted this person and we call this person. So this is a third person. So you have the tip line woman, you have the poem writer woman, and now we found a person that we call the witness in the church. And the witness describes to us a story that ties in the poem, the three men poem, and how those, how certain stanzas were based on true events, based on our witness in the church. It's what our witness went through and witnessed. So our witness at the church joins St. John's Episcopal Church in 1992. Our witness states that Father Hoverstock is notified 
about an individual by the individual's sister. That individual I'm referring to is the individual I just talked about in the tip line, the brother. The sister that made the tip line call in 1997 went to the church and told Father Hoverstock about her brother. That transpired, according to our witness, between the years 1992 and 1994. This is a huge problem because, as I had just read in the police documents, Hoverstock said he was shocked to learn about this individual and about any kind of sexual molestation. According to what my witness says, he knew years prior. So he knew exactly what this person was years before John Bonet died and then lied to the cops about it. That opens up a can of worms because he was there that morning. He's a close friend of John Ramsey. So big problems to continue with the church timeline. Uh, Hoverstock is notified about the brother by the brother's sister concerning the brother's sexual abuse of her when she was younger. Mid-90s, Father Hoverstock oversees St. John's 100th anniversary capital campaign, which resulted in a major restoration and expansion on church campus. Millions of dollars are raised. This is an extremely wealthy church. Everybody needs to remember that. Okay, January, February 1997. Woman calls the Ramsey murder tip line. The woman tells the Boulder Police Department about her brother, who is a member at St. John's. She tells the Boulder Police that her brother started having sex with her around the age of 11 through 18 years of age. She states that her brother, you know, that they need to look at her brother when it comes to the murder of John Bonet Ramsey. February, March, 97, Boulder police interview Father Hoverstock. Hoverstock talks about the brother. Hoverstock says he has no knowledge of the brother being a child molester. Overstock says he is shocked to learn of this information. And as I just stated, my witness contradicts that claim. Uh, February, March, 97, the Boulder Police Department interviewed the brother. Uh, during that interview with the brother, he pretty much has no alibi. Asleep at home with the, with the wife. That's not considered a good alibi. April 30th. 1997. Let me jump in here for yes. a second. Frank. Yes, sir. Where in proximity to the Ramsey home is asleep at home with the wife? Very close. Minutes. Minutes driving, minutes walking. Minutes walking. Walking. Minutes walking. Mm-hmm. Continue on. I'm sorry. 1998. Our witness befriends the brother at St. John's. Like I had mentioned earlier, uh, he was a very popular individual at the church. Uh, The brother starts to talk to my witness as they get closer. And then all of a sudden starts telling her about incest fantasies that he's having. Starts showing her his writings about incest. And tells our witness that he is watching and fantasizing about little girls who who attend church at St. John's. Uh, My witness goes to Father Hoverstock and other vestry members who are, when we say vestry, that's elected church officials. And she tries to tell them about this individual's actions and behaviors, about the incest fantasies and the fantasizing about girls at the church. She is either dismissed or not believe. 
And as she told me, and I believe it was 98, when she went to Holverstock and told him what was going on with this individual, Holverstock told her to go light a candle hmm. and then walk away. I mean, in reality, uh, this brother is grooming, or I believe trying to groom the witness. Yes. The, she has a young child. The witness got very upset during one of the phone calls and she started asking me, why, why did he pick me? Why did he pick me to tell me these things and to show me these things? And I said, you have a daughter, right? How old was she? She was young. I said, he was most likely grooming you to get to your daughter to see where you were at. That's why he picked you. Anyway, to continue. Mm -hmm. Good Friday, 1999. Our witness finds child pornography in what is described to me as this individual's uh, studio inside the church. My witness notifies the vestry members. They notify the Boulder Police Department. Let me jump in here again, yes. Frank. So when we say finds child pornography, are we talking about digital paper pictures? What are we, what are we talking? Do we have did an not, idea? Did not go into specifics. Okay. So it could have, it could have been one picture. It could have been a mountain of pictures. We, we don't, we don't it, fully it, know. It was, it was, uh, as the only way she described it was child pornography and other stuff. Okay. That's it. That's the only description. Something that, that prompted this individual to call the police. It prompted her to notify vestry members, church leadership, and they called the police. Okay. Good Friday, continuing 1999, Boulder police are called to the church. The Boulder police uh, have to break into the room because it looks like this individual had locked the door. And now I refer back to the three men poem. Uh, they did not know he changed the key when police would come to query. So they broke and entered quietly, though he would claim illicitly. Over a period of years, all this stuff is starting to add up. They find child pornography and other stuff. There is one vestry member uh, who was present. They give us the name. I'm not going to mention the name. And having knowledge of these events, my witness says there were several vestry members present, but there was one name she, she remembered in particular. The child pornography is taken out of the church and the individual is removed from the church, but is not arrested by the Boulder Police Department. For whatever reason, it, the Boulder Police cover up the search at St. John's. It's never made public. There's no paperwork on it that I ever that we ever found. The public is has never been made aware that a search at the church has ever taken place. Never mind that pornography was found. April, May, 1999. Now, this is where the poem writer information comes in because she was interviewed. Poem writer states that vestry members meet to discuss what to do with this individual. The poem writer states that this individual is asked to leave the church. This individual refuses this individual blackmails the church. The witness states that this individual used the phrase, if I go down, we all go down. This individual is paid off. The amount paid, poem writer states, is $300,000. Yeah, read the line from the poem, Frank. Oh, and then you go back to the poem. And so avoiding calumny, a grand sum he was paid to flee. Now, you got to understand, 
we got the poem in 2003 and we're getting this information in like 2018. <laughs> so everything is, is connecting. Uh, so this individual was paid in, uh, around $300,000. My, uh, there's also payments to other individuals. And as my witness states, rumors swirled among the church congregation that money from the capital campaign was used to pay off this individual. So it's not like people didn't have an idea. You know, church gossip gets around. My brother and I talked to other people at the church. They didn't want to talk about this incident. Nobody denied it. But they used phrases like, uh, that situation was taken care of. Another person said, uh, we don't focus on that anymore. We've moved past that. Hmm. Nobody denied it. Another, right. another line used was, we already took care of that with the Boulder police. Yeah. yeah. Believe it or not. Now, so he's paid to go away. Mm -hmm. Give him some walking around money, some walking away money. What year was that? Stated it's by my witness, uh, by the poem writer is April, May, 1999. Okay. So $300,000 in 1999 today, that would be $550,000 approximately in today's money to, to give everybody a good idea of how much this guy was given away, given to walk away to, to vanish, get the hell out of here. And then we need to clue the listeners in too, because the church, a church is only as successful or wealthy or powerful as its congregation. Right. And in this situation, St. John's is in a very affluent part of of Colorado. Boulder is very affluent compared to many parts of Colorado, but also the na this neighborhood in particular is kind of the creme de la creme of, of Boulder. Correct. Well, just to give you an idea, this is Supreme court Gorsuch's church. Yeah. These are the kind of people that go there. This is how this kind of money's raised for a capital campaign where Oh, we're looking to do an expansion and people in the congregation give money and you, <laughs> you raise a few million. Not to mention, not to mention the church gave this person in today's money, half a million dollars. This is the same person who was alleged by his sister raped and abused her, fantasized about incest and about abusing other girls at the church had child pornography at the church. And you're going to give this person money to go someplace else? <laughs> well, well, I mean, that's that's how it all it all adds up in totality. Now you have to understand, the witness is not aware. You know, when I told her about poems, she had no idea. She she didn't know anything about poems. And when I was talking with her, my the witness even said, you know, I started talking about the Ramsey case. And she started getting nervous. She's, the witness is like, you're not telling me that he could be part of this. It's like they didn't even, they, they don't know about the tip line call because nobody knows about the tip line call. The witness didn't know. Apparently, the poem writer may have had an idea when, when it's written in the poem. His sister told them it could be. Mm -hmm. So to finish the timeline... After this individual is paid off and leaves the church, one of this individual's close friends, who was known as a bad seed, a bad guy, that's the information that we received on this individual. My witness states that this close friend of the individual who just got paid off starts to stalk her children, and threatens her to the point where she has to get a restraining order against this individual. And that's the end of the church timeline. So 
and I'm sure, and I apologize to the listeners. I know this is like a lot of information and it seems like we jump all over the place. But what you have here is a problem with this case, especially when it comes to Hoverstock, because it's apparent. I have no doubts about my witness. The first phone call I had with her, she was nervous. And I said, we'll continue it at another time. Once I mentioned poems and she started panicking at the Ramsey case, that's somehow connected, she panicked. She calls me two days later and pretty much says, what are you doing? I said, I'm laying in bed watching college football. What are you doing? She's like, I'm having a picnic with my family. Here's how it happened. And that's when she told me everything in order. And that's how the church timeline came into existence. Mm -hmm. So it appears Hoverstock lied, according to this witness. You have child pornography removed by the Boulder Police Department in a search. The person whose child pornography, uh, who has the child pornography, is not arrested. That's a problem because this is the... This is the, the group that's supposed to be that's supposed to solve the Ramsey case, and you're covering up for a pedophile. So it appears the church and the police were kind of working hand in hand to make sure that this never came to light. But what happened? Somebody got cute and wrote a poem back in 2000, 2001, never guessing that it. Anybody could ever figure it out. Lou knew what's important. Me and my brother knew what's important. We kept digging and now we are at where we are at. And we don't know how, I don't think we can take it any farther. We achieved every goal that we set out in 97 to achieve. We said there'd be a witness that would make claims of child sexual abuse against John or somebody close to him. Those accusations were made. The witness came forward from California. We said that if we kept digging in the town, eventually we would come across another case or another scandal that roped in Ramsey case players. That is what happened in the church, church scandal, the Ramsey church, the one John Benet went to an individual and then you have payoffs and a cover-up break this scandal open get answers on why the police did what they did and the district attorney they're just as culpable too because they had to have known about the search they knew about the tip line call so they knew about this individual from jump street District mm -hmm. Attorney's Office and the Police Department. And how the hell they get that tip line call in 97 and nothing happens until somebody calls in 99? Frank, what's fa what's fascinating is, is that, you know, you never hear anything really discussed about St. John's Church. You always hear different, you know, theories and you know, what's going on in the, in the house and what happened here, what happened there. But no one ever discussed St. John's Church. And what did Ali what did Ali Gray say about St. John's? Ali Gray told us Ali Gray was pushing us towards the church to to investigate the church. And two disturbing things he he said. He said one concerning uh when I, when we were talking about the individual who got caught with the child pornography at St. John's. Ali's words to me were, it wasn't just him. Right. Ali said that there were multiple people in the church doing what he was doing. When I pressed Ali for names, he did not give them to me. He said, and this, this is how Ali dealt with, you know, with us sometimes. He'd be cryptic because, you know, he was, he was dealing with his own non-disclosure agreement. Well, and detectives are always kind of very secretive, right? And they they want they want to they want to keep it close to the vest, not disclose anything until they can suss it the whole thing out themselves yeah. first. 
they want to get from you <laughs> as much as they can. Exactly. That's how they do it. Ali was very much like that. But he, what did he say, Frank? So he, no, he said, he goes, there were other people besides this individual. And I'm like involved, I'm like involved doing stuff to kids or child pornography. He's like, yeah. And, and my, the first thing that came to my head, I said, not Hoverstock, right? And he's like, no. He goes, he's more trying to keep a lid on it. He goes, I'm like, well, who? And he's like, look, he goes, look at the people who pay the bills. And I didn't understand when he told me back then what that meant. He was talking, the people who pay the bills at St. John's are the vestry members, the elected officials. They literally pay the bills. So Ali is saying that maybe three to four of them why do you think the blackmail was effective? If I go down, we all go down. And that's why they paid him off, because maybe he was threatening to out others. So you got a huge problem within this church. And like my brother was saying, oh, yeah, they threw out a lot of names in this case. You know, they recycle them every year, like clockwork almost. Gary Oliva, right? Not every year we'll get a Gary Oliva story. Uh, what's another good one? Uh Michael Helgoth. Michael Helgoth. Oh, yeah, yeah, maybe he did it. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, and then people, you know, over the years, uh, maybe it was somebody from John's job because they were jealous. Give me a break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL Learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. 
Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. I'll, I will give you a break. I'll tell you what, you're, you're going to get another uh, Gary Oliva, somebody from John's office uh, business from True Crime Garage when you <laughs> tune in next week. But but because what we're trying to do here, guys, is look at this case from several different people's perspectives with different possible theories. And so we, we want to kind of, as you guys did with your investigation, you you really investigated Boulder. What the hell's going on in this city at this time with, with the players all involved, what is going on. And so we wanted to do something somewhat similar and talk about things that we didn't get to in those first six parts. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we will be, you know, we're doing this interview here tonight, but yeah, you'll hear next week. And so don't, don't get upset with me and send some rough email my way, but uh. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's. I'm not. I'm not mad at people. You know, the public or people who filed the case discussing it. It's. I'm mad at the. I'm just mad at the cops. I'm mad at the district attorney's office. It's like. It's like they're running a shell game on the public. You know what I mean? It's like. It's like they almost. Like they know the truth, but they don't want it to come out in a way. That's that's always been the vibe that I've gotten almost from the beginning of this case. It reminds me of the, you know, the Kennedy assassination in a way, right? The mafia did it. The Cubans did it. You know, they keep everybody guessing, but don't look at the facts. You know, and I know some people think Lee Harvey Oswald did it, but some people, I'm one of them, think that maybe our government was involved. The intelligence agencies, because so they keep you looking at everything else, but the stuff and the connections that you can make, they don't want you looking at, or they hide it. The Ramsey case, they hid this from the American public. They hid this search. If this happened now, Nick, I don't. How old are you, Nick? Just checking. You're gonna make me say this on uh, on Mike. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna, sorry. I, I, I would have to I'm give. Sorry, you. I'm putting him on 40. the spot, Frank. I'm 44 years old. 44 years oh. old. 44 <laughs> oh, years young. Hey, you're younger than us. Okay, so so you have an understanding. A lot of people are younger, and they don't understand what this case was like in the beginning, how big it really was. If this information surfaced at the start of the case, that church would have been destroyed instantly. Instantly. This and I, for, I just can't get away from the fact that they they bent over to protect this church and protected a pedophile from being arrested for child pornography. <laughs> I mean, who was in charge of the, the the church aspect of the investigation? 
Are you telling me they don't know this? I, that me and my brother, like, they have to know it. They did the search. Right. We, we just figured it out. We just got people to talk. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's it's just been a it's been a frustrating, you know, almost twenty seven years. That's all. Sorry, Nick. No, and I and I tell you what, Frank, that's a great segue into my next topic, and and a good way for us to wrap up our this discussion was incredible. Um, we could we could talk for for days and nights and and enjoy every moment of it. But so, Jim, I'll circle to you. Because this is how you got my attention, Jim. You had told me that to to not focus on who we need to stop focusing right now on who killed John Bonet. We need to focus more in on the what and the why. And as I recall it, you were saying what was going on in in Boulder, what was going on with these people in in direct relation to this case. At the time, and then the why is why don't they want to solve this case? Do I have that correct? Yes, you you do, and it's you know it all goes back full circle, you know, to the to the to the Boulder syndrome, and it, the, the how how to solve this case was not necessarily who did it, but why it happened, and what was going on in the town, and John Benet. And, and the horrible crime that was committed against her. She was a microcosm of what was happening in Boulder. And what we were looking at and the cases that we uncovered, and mind you, we're not even touching on certain things mm-hmm. and certain cases that involved city officials that were compromised that we've come across other attorneys, Other attorneys, well-known attorneys in the Boulder area, sex parties. I mean, you can go on and on. What was happening in this area? And and when you have that type of, of culture taking place, you're going to wind up with a girl, a dead little girl like John Benet. But you got to know why it happened. And what was going on? You got to know the background first. That's why my brothers stated we had to start from the outside and work the case from out inward to to get a bigger picture. And like I said, we're hoping that this case will one day that, you know, will go forward and maybe pressure will be put on the, the Boulder Police Department to give an answer why certain documents were, were, were not released, why certain things like the search wasn't made public. The American people need should know about that. You know, heck, most people di- aren't even aware of the poems in the case. You know, and, and these are these are big things. Um, but yeah, it's it, it goes back to the Boulder syndrome that what was going on in 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 the town. And you know, uh, Stephen Singular said it best that when a town is trying to protect itself, the truth becomes obscured. And I thought he put that very well. And I, I would just like to add, you know, when pedophilia runs amok in a community, someone dies. It's always the case. When it invades, when pedophilia invades institutions, church, uh, city government, power structure, and they think they can get away with it and just do what they want somebody's going to get carried away and that's what that is what i is what we think happened in the john benet case back then there was a culture you know as an old saying if you if you subsidize a problem you get more of it when you plea bargain like that you create a culture pedophiles communicate with each other Imagine, you know, it's 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 like a slusher. We talked about him in the beginning. For what he did, that he was an absolute monster, monster at 24. When you give a pedophile like that a slap on the wrist, you know what he did when he got out of jail? 
He became a child pornographer. Yep. That's what happens. You want to give out light sentences? Pedophiles are going to think that's the greatest town known to known to man. Hey, we can do what we want here. And if we do get caught, nothing's going to happen. Maybe we get, you know, a small jail sentence. Heck, maybe we don't get any jail like Jerry Berry. Or maybe we don't get prosecuted at all. Bruce Downsborough and other cases that we didn't go into on this show. It's it. That's the what. What was going on? The question for 26 years, people have been asking who, 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 who? Where has it got you? It's gotten you nowhere. Ask the other questions. Well, and the one of the poems references recidivism. And, you know, yep. I, as somebody who studies crime and crime statistics, I can tell you this, that a level three child sex offender has the highest recidivism rates out of any other type of criminal. And here, mm. and here they're giving them a slap on the wrist. And in some cases, nothing. And in, and in, and, and in other cases, according to people, I mean, there was no prosecution at all. Look at the individual of the church. If what everybody said was true, now everything's an allegation. You know, what my witness is alleging happened at the church, what the tip line caller alleges, it's all allegations. And if they're all true, you embolden, you gave this individual, the church gave this individual $300,000. Nothing happened to him. He walks, you know what a pedophile can do with a boatload of cash? Damage. And then the police, no arrest. And he just gets to skate off to another community doing who knows what. Did they even think that they were unleashing somebody? I mean, it's, I don't even, I, I tend, that really drives me up a wall. That person left the church with a whole lot of money. He's been doing this stuff to young kids, allegedly, since he was 16. Started with his sister. And you just let him skate to another community. No heads up for them that this that wherever he landed, that this community has a monster coming their way. I don't even want to think if anybody else was harmed. Because if that's the case, cops need to lose their jobs, their pensions, anybody involved with what happened at that church. If it's true, if the allegations are correct, they need to be fired. Or have their pensions taken away. Examples must be made. People in the church, if they're still there that are in leadership, need to be removed, sued, whatever. It's ah, I I think this is a good time to stop before I get too worked up. This has been an incredible month here in the garage. I'm so excited that we were able to bring all of this information to you. I know it's a lot, and it's coming at you from a lot of different directions. But when we covered this case a few years back with our six-part series, John Bonet, we realized that there was so much more to this case, and there were different important perspectives about this case and aspects that we never even touched on. And it was through the success of those episodes and the show's popularity that we were able to speak with some of the individuals that you heard this month in the garage. We spoke with John Wesley Anderson, who worked with Lou Smith, who was one of the key players in this case in John Bonet, the Master Detective, parts one and two. We did a further deep dive on Gary Oliva and some of the other suspects and persons who had claimed to have been there when John Bonet passed or may even have been responsible for her murder in John Bonet, I killed her parts one and two. And we recently spoke with Stephen and Joyce singular for our interview that we titled John Bonet presumed guilty. 
We recommend that you check out John Wesley Anderson's book, Lou and John Bonet, and the Singular's book, Presumed Guilty. We want to thank everybody for joining us this month here in the garage and all year long. And we will have our six-part series on John Bonet Ramsey released Christmas week. Don't forget we have our other show off the record that you can subscribe to on Apple subscription or you can subscribe via Patreon. And for those of you new to off the record, we have several John Bonet Ramsey episodes, one in particular that you're going to want to go back and check out from May 14th when we speak with one of the officers that worked for Boulder Police Department. We will be back to our regular scheduled programming in 2024. And until then, we want to thank all of you and wish you a happy holidays and a happy new year. And until 2024, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Are you struggling to lower your bad LDL cholesterol, even though you may be taking a statin, swapping steaks for salads, and exercising while listening to this podcast? Ask your doctor if Repatha Evolocumab is right for you. With Repatha, you can dramatically reduce bad cholesterol and the risk of another heart attack while enjoying life, too, because you're human. And with convenient self-administration, you can take Repatha in the comfort of your own home. Do not take Repatha if you're allergic to it. Repatha can cause serious allergic reactions. Signs include trouble breathing or swallowing, or swelling of the face. Most common side effects include runny nose, sore throat, common cold symptoms, flu or flu-like symptoms, back pain, high blood sugar and redness, pain, or bruising at the injection site. Visit Repatha.com or call 1-844-REPATHA. Talk to your doctor today about Repatha.